I am T.S. Wright, and welcome to The God-Centered Concept. Today, episode 11, The Process of Covenant. So, today we're going to discuss covenant and why that is such an important, not only concept, but process that is not only biblical, but relates so much to everything that we have and do in life and especially in our relationship with God. And I believe that if we don't discuss covenant, it's going to be really difficult to discuss anything else. And I've been led to really discuss this concept to you guys on this podcast that you're listening to. I just put out a bonus episode and really talked about receiving Christ and kind of the understanding of salvation. But covenant is at the heart of salvation. It really is, and it's also at the heart of all the other biblical processes that we follow. So we've we've given you the foundational process that is how we connect to God, both through salvation and through how we grow deeper with God and our connection to Him. But also, this process of covenant is really the the key concept that God uses to show His authority over his creation, and mainly I'm talking about us. So anyway, let's get started here. So there's really some basic questions that we really need to ask, and just I'm going to just throw these out there, and then I'm going to just start talking about this, but I want, you to, I want you to think about these questions. What do you think constitutes a covenant? What are the conditions of a covenant? What are the prerequisites before we can even have a covenant, how binding is a covenant, and what does that look like when we're doing this with God, when God's the one at the center of creating the covenant, so to speak, and we're involved with that. So we've got we to gotta get a practical way of understanding that. So anyway, let's, uh, let's jump in here. So first of all, this word covenant is mentioned approximately 280 times in the Old Testament. And forgive me with my pronunciations as I'm still learning to process Hebrew. Um, berit, B-E-R-I-T is how we would look at it in English, is the Old Testament term. And diathaki, okay, <laughs> D-I-A-T-H-E-K-E. And I know that I probably didn't spell that or pronounce that totally right, but that is mentioned at least 33 times in the New Testament. So these words represent the word covenant in English and how we would think of it. And the best way and the best way to think of what a covenant is, it's really a physical, earthly binding that creates a spiritual bond. And that's when we're talking about covenant with God and man, okay, when God and man are involved in that. And that's really what we're focusing on here today. So it's the physical earthly binding that creates a spiritual bond with God, okay? And so covenant is part of the way God claims his authority over his creation, okay? So we have to we have to really respect covenant because think of it as being as the highest form of a legal 
and spiritual bond. Okay, it's it's more, it's bigger than just an agreement. It's bigger than just signing a document. It's bigger than just some type of legal proceeding. A covenant is at the highest form because it's not only physical, but there is a spiritual bond that is created in that covenant. So we need to, we always need to adhere to this. Okay, so it's by far the highest form of any agreement. And when we hear the word covenant, you know, we always think of binding and a binding agreement, a bond, that sort of thing. And so when we, we think about it, it, somehow that has to be sealed, okay? It has to be signed, you know, signed and sealed. Sometimes we, we use that terminology, but we need to think of it in those terms. So as we're sitting here thinking about the word covenant, we need to understand how that relates, okay, and how that ties together because it really does form a bonding effect, okay, both physically and, and there's a binding in the physical presence or physical realm, but there's also a bonding in the spiritual realm. So here's the thing. Covenants have this way of being just, it's like it it incorporates our whole being, okay? And when we think of this, when we think of, of a covenant, then what we have to do is we have to automatically assume in the biblical sense and also in really in our connection to God, that there is, there is, God is at work here, okay? And, and we got to assume that there's a lot of pieces to this because there is. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you through a covenant here, and I think that might help really explain this in the way that we want to and help answer some of these questions. So first of all, um, let's talk about the covenant with Jesus because I think Obviously, this is the highest covenant of all covenants, and his blood is the new covenant, all right? So the shedding of his blood, which would lead to his death, and of course, then his resurrection, which is what gives us eternal life. So, but let's talk about that, all right? So that's the example we're going to use here. So the first thing that we got to do is, are there prerequisites? That means, are there some preset things that need to be done or some conditions that need to be met before a covenant can be formed? And the answer to that is yes. All right. So I have not only pondered, but read through many different chapters in the Bible. I've prayed over this and I found that there were four basic prerequisites to every covenant. And I know there's people that's got all kinds of writings out there, but we're gonna we're gonna follow these four for the moment. Number one, the number one part of any prerequisite to any covenant is number one, there has to be a calling by God. Okay? God has to have put the calling out there before a covenant can even be considered. So there has to be a calling by God. Number two, there has to be a demonstrated act of faith that plays out before a covenant can be completely sealed. We have to remember that. Number three, there has to be some kind of a time of preparation. And number four, during that time of preparation, there has to be a demonstrated walk with God. All right? And that means doing it 
his way before that covenant can be sealed and then fulfilled. So let's talk about Jesus for a few minutes here and really dive into this whole aspect of covenant. Jesus meets all of these conditions. First of all, Jesus was there at the beginning. We get that. We understand that from 1 John, the Gospel of John chapter 1, not 1 John the book, but the Gospel of John chapter 1. He was there at the beginning. The Word became flesh. You know, those type of statements really help sign that, sign and seal that. If you go to the book of Revelation chapter 3 and you look at verse 15, he is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. In Colossians chapter 1, we're talking about Jesus, his supremacy, but that everything was created by him and for him. So, and then... At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. That's in Philippians chapter 3. So all of these things help set that tone that Jesus was there and he was called by God to do what he was going to do. He was. All the prophecies in the Old Testament spoke of this. There's all kinds of prophecies that we can read in the Old Testament about Jesus and his coming and what that would look like, what he would be doing, how that would play out. And he fulfilled every single one of them. You talk about being called by God. No wonder this is the highest covenant ever created by God. I mean, think about, just think about the mathematical equation that it would take to figure out the like the likelihood of that happening, that someone would fulfill all those prophecies. It is, it's astronomical. Like, it's just not, it's almost like it's not possible, but it happened. It's that level of, you know, that level of, it's like 121 billion to one, okay? So I'm, I'm sure there's a number out there for it. I've seen numbers, but it's, let's just say that it is off the charts. And the fact that it happened is a miracle in itself. And it also shows the power of God. He can overcome any circumstance, he can overcome any equation. He can over, he can do the impossible. All right, so we have to remember that. So the calling by God is well established here. Number two, an act of faith demonstrated. Well, Jesus was baptized. And then he was led in spirit into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. Now, I just read recently about a man who tried to go do the Jesus fast in the wilderness for 40 days, and he, they think he died about after 30 days. But Jesus did this for 40 days, proving he was a son of God. And the fact of how he dealt with the time of testing that would come. You know, we read about the three instances of him having to go back and forth against the enemy, Satan, and how they had this back and forth and how Jesus passed the test all three times. But I just wonder if there was a lot more testing that wasn't recorded. I think there was a more testing that wasn't recorded, and he passed all of them. The point is, Jesus passed the test. He fulfilled this demonstrated act of faith. And he fulfilled the demonstrated act of faith that 
many times he would said, he, I come on behalf of the Father. I submit to the will of the Father. I and the Father are one. He also said in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's praying, not my will, but thy will be done. So Jesus is demonstrating that act of faith. There was also a time of preparation. First of all, Jesus' ministry didn't start for about 30 years. Number two, that time in the wilderness we just talked about, that was another time of preparation. That was a time of purification. And he's demonstrating purification that he was already there by how he dealt with all of the issues of the wilderness as well as he's fasting all at the same time. He was led in spirit to do this, and he fulfilled it. So this time of preparation was important. And during this time of preparation, he walked with God. He did it all. Think about it. He not only had the time of testing and the fasting, but he never, ever backed down from the fact that he was walking in total submission to the Father. And that just and that goes back to some of the stuff I've already mentioned. And then the very fact that he became obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross, which is stated by Paul in Philippians chapter 2. Okay. And so we need to understand that. I think earlier I said Philippians chapter 3 about every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. That's actually Philippians chapter 2. So I apologize if that was if I uh, misspoke there. But we need to understand that Jesus fulfilled these four prerequisites so that the covenant could take place. So God could put that stamp, that seal on Jesus, okay, and around him so that we could have eternal life. It's the highest form of any covenant. It's everlasting, okay, I actually think sometimes people get caught, they think the marriage covenant is the top of the ladder. It is not. It is a temporary assignment. This is a permanent assignment. It is an eternal assignment. It is the most phenomenal assignment in the history of the world. It really is. Because it is what solidifies our relationship with God and our eternal existence with God. It keeps us in connection with God, and it reconciles us to God. It does so many things. The shed blood, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not only the cornerstone of our faith, but it is the highest form of any covenant in the history of mankind. And God ordained it. And these four prerequisites establish the fact that that covenant could be made and fulfilled. And we, we, we owe every aspect of our being to Jesus because he did this and because of God's covenant and how he chose to have us be reconciled to him because of the fall that happened in the garden with Adam and Eve. All right. Jesus comes and fulfills that. So let's just take a breath for a moment. I mean, that's a lot. That is a heavy thing to think that this covenant plays out like this. And Jesus established every aspect, not only of all the prophecies, but of this covenant, fulfills all these prerequisites and becomes the perfect example of a covenant. Now, there are, there are other covenants in the Bible, and the, four of the other major ones are the one with Noah, the one with Abraham, the one with Moses, 
and the one with David. And I'm not going to get into those. And you certainly can go and read those. And there's plenty of stuff online you can read if you want to. But let's think of covenant in the fact that these four prerequisites need to be fulfilled. Okay, and that is called by God, a demonstrated act of faith, a time of preparation, walking with God during that preparation. Then that covenant, once it is sealed, once it's met those, now it can be sealed, and there has to be a public declaration of this covenant. Okay? It is the highest binding agreement of anything when it involves God creating the covenant. All right? When God's involved in this, it is a total act of commitment. There is a physical there is a physical binding that creates a spiritual bond. Okay? And there are terms that come with this. That means there are there are parts that we have to fulfill when we are a part of a covenant. Okay? So there's terms that we have to fulfill and when we don't fulfill those terms, there are consequences to not fulfilling those terms, okay, or breaking those terms and going against them. So we need to understand that the, all those things are involved when there's a covenant. And when we don't fulfill it, a covenant in the way that it's supposed to be fulfilled, or we try to create a covenant or walk into a covenant by not demonstrating the prerequisites, there becomes consequences, Okay. So when think about this, you're trying to form a covenant, think about it, forming a covenant and you don't fulfill the prerequisites, but then you try to do it anyway. The question is, is it really a covenant? I mean, that's just a question you have to ask. So, you know, and then the other part is when you're in the covenant, if you don't fulfill the terms of the covenant, what kind of consequences are going to come with that? So there's, you know, there's, there's things that you can think about in that process, but the five covenants that we're focused on here. Obviously, the number, the most powerful one is the one, the blood of Jesus, okay? But then there's also the other four, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David. But also an understanding that God gives us covenant as a way of showing his authority over creation and giving us that bonding that we so need and he does that in the highest form of any covenant is the one through the blood of Jesus. And we absolutely have to have that to be reconciled to God. None of these other covenants matter without that one. The blood of Jesus is the key aspect. It is the key covenant. It is the key to all human life. All right. Because when all of us, 100% of us that are born are going to die in some form or fashion, and we are going to go and stand before our creator. And Jesus' blood covers the hideousness of our sin in the sight of Almighty God. And this, these, this understanding of covenant is a very important part. Now, there's some suggestion that with some parts of these covenants, that God's doing all the action and man is getting all the benefit. Okay? So... And there is some truth to that. But there also is, in covenant, there are parts that we have to uphold to. A, a lot of it just in, really involves surrendering to it and then bowing before his presence and acknowledging 
that God is the king and he is the owner. And he is the one that seals these covenants and that we need to give our allegiance to him because of it. Okay, that's really our part in this, especially in that covenant, because we can't go and die on a cross or die for somebody else and save them. There's nothing we can do to save somebody else. Only Jesus can do that. There is nobody else that has ever been qualified to fulfill all of this in the way that it was fulfilled to give us the salvation that we so desperately need. Even when people don't acknowledge the fact that they need salvation, they need it. We all do. Okay, There is no way to heaven except through Jesus Christ. He even said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He does not give us the option to think of him in any other way. And this covenant is a part of that because he can't just be a great moral teacher because he claimed to be the son of God. He can't just be a prophet because he claimed to say, and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one shall come to the Father except through me. He said, I am the only way. So that makes him either a liar, a lunatic, or exactly what he claimed to be, and that is a son of God. That's the only logical explanation, and it's the only answers that are available to us. Jesus didn't come to give us this fluff story. He came to save us all right, from our own sin and to lift us out of our depravity. And this covenant is at the heart of that. All right, And then the under, overall understanding of covenant, which we will discuss in some other ways in future episodes down the road, p- will play out. But remember, these prerequisites, what constitutes that covenant, Okay, the conditions of a covenant, and the binding, we've kind of briefly touched on all those today. So when you think of Jesus next time and you really think about what he did on the cross— Think of the covenant that God established through his, the blood of his own son to make sure that we get the safety, security, the peace, the freedom, and the validation that we so desperately need so we can be reconciled to the Father. Until next time, go forth in total surrender to the one who owns and reigns over all creation.